You're listening to the Straight to Video Podcast with Rob Lane. Hello, and welcome to the Straight to Video Podcast, episode 12. A dozen episodes of this show, and we're firing on all cylinders right now. These things just keep on coming. I hope all is good in your world, and I'm excited to bring you an interview with one of the guys who's played a massive part in my musical journey for around the past 15 years or so. Today, I'm speaking to AC Slade. There's a long, long list of bands who AC is associated with, and he's had the most incredible journey, yet it still feels like he's on top of his game, and things just keep getting better and better. Like a lot of you out there, I became familiar with AC when he toured with the Murder Dolls, who were fucking huge over here in the UK. But after that band disbanded, AC returned with Trashlight Vision, and for me, that was something really special. There was something magical about that band, which so many of us out there related to. They were such a powerful band, and like any classic band lineup, each one of them had such strong characters. Going to their shows felt like one big hangout, and they became everyone's friend. I learned a lot from AC myself, both as a performer and also how to work and promote your band, especially during the mid-2000s when everything really seemed to return to a grassroots DIY level. AC and the Trashlight Vision guys were the kings of that. For those that may or may not know, my old music mag Trashbit spawned its own record label for a short period of time, and I was incredibly humbled when AC chose Trashbit Records to release the debut album from his band The Dark Party. It didn't make any of us rich, but I think what we released together as a band and label is something I'm still very proud of to this day, and that album, man, is incredibly unique, and the songs hold up great. If you've not heard it, please track it down or give me a shout. In more recent years, AC has continued to shine as a touring musician, landing the bass player role with none other than Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. And following the release of his debut solo album Valentine's for Sick Minds in 2015, which he described as Motorhead meets Cheap Trick, he went on to become the touring rhythm guitarist for The Misfits. It doesn't get much bigger than that and I'm forever happy to see him doing well. Now not to be a slouch, when away from the live stage you can find AC working hard on his new coffee company Catfight Coffee. With this venture, AC is really creating his brand and identity with the likes of their Iron Claw blend or the Tura Satana coffee. His passions are totally running wild in this and I'm sure it's going to be a great success. You can find out more at catfightcoffee.com and if you want to hear more about AC's music, then track him down on all the usual social media platforms. So here's my chat with AC Slade from his home in New Jersey. We only got to speak for a short while as he was in between Coffee Dispatch, but it's always a joy to catch up with this guy and he shared some fun stories. I hope you enjoy it. I think of Ace of Slade, I kind of think of New York City. It all seems very much part of you, your attitude and your vibe. 
But you grew up in Pennsylvania. I can imagine that's probably considerably different to New York City. So um, can you take us back to when you were a kid and what AC Slade was like back then? Were you the odd punk rock kid on the block or was you totally different? It's funny you say that because like, I feel like there's a lot of insincere people who, who claim their New Yorkness. And I never try to be one of those guys. So when you say that, I'm happy to hear that. I'm proud to hear that. I think if you were in New York City at 9-11... You're like an honorary New Yorker. You're like you're you're kind of right there with the uh, with the natives almost. It's, it's somehow or another grandfathered you in, which I was. But it's really weird, man. I feel like the years from like 22 or 23 till when I was uh, 27, 28, and moved to New York. I don't feel like those years exist. And they probably kind of didn't because I was a raging alcoholic and drug addict. So they kind of didn't exist. I almost feel like I had two teenage years. One was in Pennsylvania, which was my real teenage years. And then the other was when I moved to New York and like all my New York years, like I felt like that really molded me who, who I was. Okay. To answer your question, growing up in Pennsylvania and why there were a lot of pros to that versus New York, it's only in hindsight that you realize the pros. So where I grew up, there weren't enough punks for there to be a punk click. There weren't enough metalheads to be uh, have a metalhead click or goths to have a goth click. And as a result, it was a bit more like, well, you're wearing Doc Martens and you're dying your hair black. And I don't really know if I like Motley Crue and I don't really know if I like Skinny Puppy. And I don't know, do you like the Sex Pistols? Yeah, Sid Vicious looks kind of cool, right? Okay. And so it kind of became like almost like just this art class click. And so growing up in, in Pennsylvania, I, I didn't really see really clear divisions between punk, goth and metal. And I still don't. To this day, I still consider it outsider music. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was like one one week we'd go see DRI and then the next week we'd go see, you know, Bang Tango. And then, you know, the next week we'd go see Skinny Puppy. And it was like when we got there, we realized that there were clicks for everything. But, you know, we didn't feel like it was that way out in Pennsylvania. It was It wasn't really till I started traveling up to New York that I realized that there were clicks for everything. At that time, it wasn't weird to like cross over. And if you were a punk, you'd be like, hey, let's go to the goth club to pick up some goth chicks tonight or <laughs> whatever. <you know? laughs> if you're a goth, they'd be like, let's go to CB's because the beer's cheap. I don't know. Like nobody alienated you because you were in one clique or another. It's just there, there was that one particular place for it. That's awesome. So you never kind of looked at as an outcast within those kind of cliques. Everywhere was kind of really welcoming and stuff like that, which is great. It's the way it should be, really. And it helps shape you into your own unique identity as well, if you can take little pieces from everywhere else. So that's the coolest, man. Yeah. It really is. You were part of a church choir when you were young, right? Was that just a fairly commonplace thing for kids to participate in in your town? I mean, I guess so. You know, my, my parents were uh, United Methodists, which isn't like a fire and brimstone Baptist or Catholic. It didn't have that whole shame element too much. You know, they say one of, one of the, the worst things that happened to Christianity or Christians, you know, or, or churches, I forget what the saying is, where, where it brings in all that shame and penance and all that stuff. I never really felt that in church too much until until I, I went to private school and it was like a alternative school. So it was like just for artsy kids, you know, basically to fuck up. 
fuck-ups is what it was. I didn't know that at the time. When you're a kid and you're a fuck-up, you don't know you're a fuck-up, you know? But that's what it was. So we had to ride the bus with kids from this, like, fire and brimstone Baptist school. Wow. And they would be, dude, I got to tell you, man, that shit's crazy. There would be, like, eight-year-olds coming up to me on the bus. And it was, like, the, the short bus, you know? And uh, I'd be on the short bus. I'd be like, hey, what's up? You know? And they'd be like, you know, if you keep listening to that music, you're going to go to hell. It would be, like, an eight-year-old. I'm like, and even at that age, I was like, you don't have anything about life figured out yet. How the fuck do you know I'm going to hell because of the music I listen to? What t-shirt was you wearing? Probably Alice Cooper, Twisted Sister, or... uh yeah, probably one of the two, because at that point, those were the only concerts I ever went to. But where the crossover was with that is, you know, our church had a really cool, uh, it's called the Passion Play, which is like a just a, a play about the life of Jesus. There's a crucifixion scene where they have like all this fake blood and all this theater. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like, like they would spear Jesus and blood would spew out. I was like, how do they do that? Like, you know, it's like, well, you got a diaphragm at the bottom of the, the uh, spear, and, you know, and then he had a crown of thorns and blood would slowly come come out and I was just that like the whole play I'd be like yeah whatever and then as soon as that part happened so it was proper special effects within the church yeah yeah wow <laughs> I've never heard of that before that's insane Tom Savini's a Pennsylvania guy too so you know yeah Pennsylvania and special effects that's awesome so did I read like Alice Cooper was one of your first concerts he wasn't the first but he was one of the first and right I mean to this day it's like nobody's got a better voice than that guy and just energy and commanding the crowd and you know I've seen him open up for some big name people that he just blows off the stage what tour was it do you remember which album it was raise your fist and yell which it's funny because yeah. I know you're friends with Brian Roxy but he's in the trenches podcast he's just great those Kane Roberts records really have some uh, some some covered gems on there like roses on white lace dude what a great song that is and and Ryan had them on the on the podcast and I'd, I'd forgotten how how good those Kane Roberts records were I guess because I kind of start to think about for some reason I don't think Kane Roberts played on some of that trash record. He definitely did some records where he was trying to go pop. And I bumped Kane Roberts in with that, but he wasn't really part of that. Who did you go with to the Alice Cooper concert? Probably my friend uh, Kit, who I was in my first band with. Probably my friend Kit, my friend Brian. I don't really remember too much about going, but those were like my concert buddies, especially Brian. Kit, actually, he was in my first band with me and he was a way better guitar player. Still is. He's still a, a really great guitar player. And he's kind of a, a, a character on the Philadelphia punk scene to this day. So what about um, horror movies and dark imagery and stuff like that, which you've always been into? Was that um, a case of it going hand in hand with hard rock or were you just a product of all the huge 80s horror movies and the video boom and all that kind of thing as being a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is weird, isn't it? How, like, as a kid, I didn't put the two together necessarily. Like, I saw movies over here, music over here, but clearly there's a huge crossover. And, yeah, it was like, I didn't see the connection, even though the connection was clearly obvious. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... Maybe, like, the trick-or-treat movie. Holy shit, there we go. Horror movies and rock music. <laughs> yeah, which was awesome. But it was like so cheesy that it was almost like, well, I hope people don't think that I'm really actually like that, you know, a wonderfully <laughs> awesome movie. And in fact, I almost bought a uh, Sammy Kerr t-shirt not long ago. In fact, when I was on tour with Wednesday 13 from the Murder Dolls, I, I saw one. I'm like, dude, do you need me to buy this for you? And he's like, I already got it. <laughs> At what point did you, from going from being a fan to thinking, I'd like to play an instrument? It's funny how you, how you know these, these moments. I remember I'd seen Motley Crue in concert. Okay. 
like a couple weeks later, the Home Sweet Home video came. And I was watching the video and I was like, well, that must have all been filmed at the Philadelphia Spectrum where I saw the show because it's all the same thing. And then I'm looking at the buses and the hotels because it's like that, that video montage. And then I'm like, wait, they go to another city and they do the same show like the next day. Like I knew all the dates were on the back of the t-shirt, but I figured they came, they set up a show and then they like went home for a week and it was like, oh, we've got another show in Montreal. And I was like, wow. So they do this every night and they do it all around the country, all around the world. And okay, they get in a bus and then they go and they do it again the next day. It's a job. Okay. They're not like theater actors, you know? And then there was a band that, so, so like on the way home from concerts, a lot of times they would play like mid, like from midnight on where like the heavy metal was the heavy metal hour. And a lot of times they would play like, like there'd be like one local band per week and they would get on that metal show because all the, all the local bands are usually metal bands or, or punk bands. And so there's one band it's like, and they're about to get signed to a record company and they're playing next week. And it was like, so they're playing. And I remember the band, this is band called Heaven's Edge, which is really funny because Dave Rath, the drummer, is, is a big record executive at Roadrunner Records now. So we went to the show and we saw the band like loading in. And then we saw him play the show and everybody was losing their mind. I was like, okay, so you play these places first. You pack them out, you get a lot of people to come. And then the next level is you play these bigger places. Like that was the aha moment. So there's kind of like a couple aha moments in that story. Seeing them be rock stars in a club that held like five, 600 people and everybody lose their mind. And they put on a lot of production. They had a great show. Uh, they didn't put on a show like they were playing a tavern or a pub down the street. They put on an arena show in a small place. And it was like, ah, so you fake it till you make it. Huh, that's what you do. How old was you then when you was kind of putting all the pieces together? 36. No, I'm <laughs> Um, I was probably like 16 or 17. And it all just kind of made sense. Like, I figured this out. This is like a proper business model. Yeah. Yeah, Nice. So what do you remember about forming your first band? Was it fairly easy to do in your town? Or was it tough to find like-minded people? It was a camaraderie thing as much as anything. Because I don't think I had that aha moment yet. It was more like, you know, you're in the church choir doing that whole thing. And you don't want to do that when you start to become a teenager. I never really wanted to do it too much in the first place. And then like when you get old enough to not do that anymore. And it's like, all right, what am I going to do? Like, I didn't want to play sports. I wasn't very good at that. And it seemed like my, uh, you know, reject friends. It was like they were picking up guitars and everything. So there wasn't an aspiration to take it further. It was more just an excuse to hang out with your friends and drink stolen beer and try to talk to girls, you know. You moved to Philadelphia, right, after high school. Was that specifically to pursue music or was there any other career and option for you back then? Clear as a bell. I remember we were on a class trip when I was like eight or 10 years old. I don't remember how old I was, but it was the first time we took a class trip into Philadelphia. I remember being a kid, not even a teenager yet, and seeing graffiti strip bars, hookers, drug dealers, uh, movie theaters that were showing movies that I hadn't heard of and they weren't pornos. But just, it was like, oh my God, this is it. This is where I want to be. And seeing like walking past like a punk or like something like, I was like, this is it. This is where I want to be. So honestly, the, the day after I graduated high school, I moved uh, to Philadelphia and uh, moved to Philadelphia, started working at like a rock and roll stage clothes place. Right. 
I did go to a, I guess you call it like a trade school. Like it, it wasn't a real college. And that was kind of part of my reservation for not wanting to go. But my parents were like, try going to this like music school where they teach you to record and do lights. Mm-hmm. And like, I was, they're like, you need direction. And I'm like, I want to play music. That's my direction. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need direction. I got it. You know, and my mom would give me books like, what color is your parachute or like shit like that? And I'd be like, I don't need to read this. I know who I am. And but everyone's like, well, it's a, it's a phase, it's a fad. Not not you're never going to make it, but it's like the odds of that are pretty damn slim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, there was never, I had to go, go through that, which I failed out miserably. I told my mom, I'm like, don't want to go. Don't want to go. I'm going to fail out. And I did. How did they feel about it? Or was they scared of you going into the city? Was that a big thing for them to see you move out there? Yeah, I wasn't really on good terms with my dad at the time, but my mom was terrified and rightfully so. We moved into awful neighborhood, terrible neighborhood. Right. You know, my friend Roger mm-hmm. came to our house for a party. He pulled up, saw where we lived and he kept going. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find the place? Was it simply what the rent was and stuff like that? Philadelphia was, and I think still is, one of these cities where it's like you can appear to be in a good neighborhood and then you make one turn and you're you're in the thick of it. Right. And the realtor had taken us the good way to this place. And man, the, the place was huge. It was a really, really nice flat. And in the master bedroom, like it had Philadelphia, and I guess I guess a lot of cities are like this, but Philadelphia just has these amazing diamonds in the rough. Like in the master bedroom, it had like these marble sinks. Wow. And like closets and like a vanity. I mean, whoever built that apartment, that house, had to have had tons of money. But then it was, uh, you know, in the middle of, uh, I mean, the, the house next door was a crack then. <laughs> like literally, it was pretty bad. How did you feel then sleeping there like your first night? Was you like terrified or was you just like, I'm making the move, I'm making the jump? Yeah, I loved it. So you've had the chance to play in bands, which I would imagine you maybe had posters on your walls, such as Joan Jett. Are you want to have pinch me moments on stage with these people? Is it like in a fanboy freaking out? You can't afford that emotion at the time, usually. But uh, I posted a picture on um, on Instagram the other day where I was with Joan after, I say we, I know that it's she, but after our confirmation that we were being inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we did this jam where it was, we jammed with Slash and Lord Jane Grace from Against Me. And uh, we played Starfucker, which she hadn't played that in 20 years. And I don't know why it's a great song. But yeah, it was like before we're about to go on, like Slash is there. It's like, ah, oh, cool. How was your flight? It's like, yeah, it's all right. How about yours? And I'm like... Really? Like this is happening right now? That, and I mean, when I played in Philly with the Misfits on my birthday, I mean, that's just like, that moment doesn't happen to anybody. Like they knocked down the arena that I saw my first show at, but they rebuilt a new one. So it's where the Philadelphia Flyers and Philadelphia 76ers still play. And they have all the concerts. And so we played there December 14th. My birthday is the 15th. We cross the threshold of midnight. Right at midnight, Glenn brings me out to wish me a happy birthday, full arena of people in my hometown singing happy birthday to me. And then right after that, it's 12.01. And this next song is called Halloween. Is that your biggest holy shit moment, do you think, when you're looking back? That is it. Yeah. Nothing else in life ever matters. How is it going back to places like that? You say it's not the original place where you saw your first gig, but it's what would be if that place hadn't been knocked down. Have you ever wondered if there's like a young kid like yourself experiencing one of their first shows for the first time? Absolutely. And I think of that all the time. We just did a show a week ago 
and there there was a kid there and his mom's like oh you know he wants to be a guitar player and there he is a guitar player dude you can do it you can do it man you know mom like nurture this and sometimes don't nurture it because sometimes determination drives you too i've always known you as being i don't want to say a hustler but you seem to be able to jump into different creative outlets. Back in Trashlight Vision, I always remember you making your own T-shirts and patches and stuff like that. You've done hairdressing, photography, and now your own coffee company. And most importantly, you really excel in each field. Very kind of entrepreneurial of you, in a way. Have you always been like that? Does that go back to you growing up? Yeah, I used to have a lemonade stand when I was a kid. It's funny because any of the the day jobs that I took, I always sought out ones that didn't require me to use my brain so that I could be thinking about the other things that I I was planning to do or or had some sort of a tie-in with what I wanted to do. So like working at a, a stage clothes store, uh, like a trash and vaudeville or a place you'd find like in Camden or something like that, you know, working there, it was like, okay, now I'm in my own. And if I wasn't doing that in a warehouse where I was totally anonymous and I would just be plotting and thinking all day and taking notes and thinking about the best way to push my band. So what fuels that for you these days? Because as we, as we get older, it becomes much tougher to kind of, I guess, have the energy to learn new skills and challenges. What fuels you these days to, let's say, climb a new mountain? Is it just in your DNA? I love learning, man. I don't have hardly any regrets about life, with the exception of not doing better in school. And that sounds really old manny, but the reason for it is this. One thing I've learned is that I'm not stupid. And when I was a kid, I never felt like I was particularly smart. And there, there's a number of reasons for that. But, you know, part of my rebelling against that was like, all right, well, I'm going to prove to you that, like, you, you don't think I fit in. Okay, well, I'm going to rebel against that by doing bad in school. And uh, even in college, like it wasn't college, but that, that trade school I went to, I did terrible in it. And in both cases, what I've come to learn is that I'm not stupid. I just have a different way of liking to learn. And I like to learn things that I'm interested in. And nothing proves the skeptics wrong more than winning. So imagine if you're this punk rock kid or this goth kid or whatever, and people are making fun of you and you're excelling. You're making them look fucking dumb. And I wish I would have known that because there's no better revenge than success. And success can come in different ways. Good grades. Yeah, they're making fun of you, but if you're getting straight A's, fuck you, you know? Do you think that's probably, you say you wish you'd done better in school, but do you think perhaps you can look at that now in hindsight and that is a thing that motivates you and challenges you to excel now, do you think? The flip side to it is that they're not really teaching you anything you need to know for life (laughs) in school, and that's the truth. But the point is, you got to be there. So I guess like the way I look at it is like, well, if I have to be here, Like this is essentially a prison sentence. And if I have to be here, why not actually just learn something? Even if I'm never going to use it, at least something's being accomplished. You know what I mean? So yeah, I know that sounds very uh, conflicting, like prove them wrong, do great in school and all that stuff that they're going to teach you will not be useful at all. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, man. I'll let you go on with your day and keep up the good work. Hopefully um, you get to the UK when things get back to normal. I never say it because I feel like it always sounds cheesy, but dude, I miss touring the UK so bad. I miss it so bad. And it's weird because my wife's always like, let's go to England. And I'm like, and don't take this the wrong way, but it's like, okay, but there's no like beach. There's no Eiffel Tower. There's no, like, I don't know where I would take you. 
but I, I miss touring the UK like with all my heart. I have so many friends there. It brings back memories, but it's like that perfect combination of people are just different enough that it's charming, but same enough that it's never awkward. And, and even with, with Trashlight a little bit, but it was like that whole, you know, Robin Black and Lord of the Lost. And I'm trying to think of some of those bands, yeah. like, you know, New Generation Superstars and Jamie D and the FTCs. That was a fun time. Really was a great time. And I certainly look back on it very fondly. So thanks ever so much for doing this, mate. I really appreciate it. And always good to catch up and see you. But I'll let you get back because I know you're always busy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you very much. All right. You take it easy, AC. Okay, bud. I'll talk to you later, Rob. Bye. Thanks to AC Slade for sharing his valuable time with me on the Straight to Video podcast. Be sure to head on over to catfightcoffee.com and check out this really amazing independent business, which in the current climate, it's so important to support things like this, but I've no doubt AC will make this a real success. Also, thanks for supporting this podcast. Please keep the comments and thoughts coming and just the encouraging words and shares online really do make my day. Once again, I hope you're out there all safe and happy and hopefully you're all enjoying these chats and maybe finding some new music and bands along the way. I'll see you all on Lucky Episode 13, but for now, I've been your host Rob Lane and I'll speak to you all soon. See ya!